Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman, and we want to welcome you to Interfaith Connection, a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the interfaith exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Our study will allow us to build bridges of understanding, acceptance, love, and peace. My partner in so many ways on this journey is Rev. Dave Lyman, Senior Minister for the Interfaith Explorers. He's an ordained interfaith minister and my beloved husband. This year, we will be on a grand adventure of exploring interfaith, and we're so excited that you have joined us. So buckle up and get ready for our 2021 adventure with today's podcast. Hi, this is Rachel Lyman of Interfaith Explorers, and I'll be talking today with one of my favorite interfaith sister heroes of the Sacramento region, Durye Sayed. Durye is a Muslim woman of action, so we're going to explore her passionate interfaith work over the past 20 years in this Interfaith Connection podcast. So welcome, Durye. It's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I really owe it big time to both of my interfaith explorers, Rachel, you and Dave, for, you know, um, always bringing me in and uh, giving um, our community a chance to speak and talk. Well, I'm looking at, we looked you up on the internet, Daria. <laughs> you have arrived. And uh, so I wanted to talk about some of your um, experience in interfaith. Some people may not uh, be familiar with all the work you've been doing. So I want to start with uh, the fact that you were president of uh, the Interfaith Service Bureau, which is now called the Interfaith Council of Greater Sacramento. And do you want to talk about that a little bit? So basically what happened is that um, uh, we were involved in the community at Salam Moore, and then 9-11 happened. And 9-11 changed our lives because we were in a very peaceful bubble where we were within our community and that opened us, opened our things up. And at that time we realized that either we stay here in America and make this our home, or it's time to pack up and go back to the Pakistan where I was born and raised. Um, so at that time we decided, no, our kids are from born and raised here and this is our country and we need to, you know, uh, we need to own that part of it. And that led us to do a quilt. We did a sympathy quilt. It was red, white, and blue, which has 20, uh, 250, um, you know, pieces. And uh, kids from Salami School, they wrote um, their prayers and their messages on that quilt. Uh, on that quilt. And that quilt was sent to um, Ground Zero. And um, that was one of the things when we presented the quilt with all our messages and prayers and knowingly at that time, you know, at that time, it was a time where, and still it is, Muhammad and Osama are very common names. And those were the names taken on TV again and again as terrorists. And that was a heartbreaking thing for our community and the kids who are named that and the kids who knows people with that name. So I think that was one of the, we call that quilt um, uh, sympathy quilt. And quilt is um, basically a symbol for warmth and for bringing all the beautiful small pieces together to make a big, even more beautiful whole. 
so that's what uh, we did and it was very well accepted and when i was doing the speech at that time one of the person from interfaith said that they want me to be part of the board and that's how i got involved in the board and once i was at the board i really loved journeying with everybody for me it was an eye opener because i come from pakistan born and raised in pakistan and in pakistan india and nepal and bangladesh muslim women are culturally not religiously culturally not allowed to go to the mosque so this was my first place in america to go to the mosque uh when i used to go for eid prayers and this interfaith um um uh, being on interfaith board allowed me to go to all the places of worship you know and i simply enjoyed that process uh, that part of being able to worship and pray with all my fellow people fellow americans and i think that's what brought me to interfaith uh, board i was a vice president for a while and then um there was a time that they um that uh, dexter and david thompson and few other people nominated me to be a president and uh, i was just honored it was one of the most um you know one of the most uh, blessed period of my time to serve sacramento community also at that time and right now also that interfaith uh, organization r is a different one which is also run um uh, run an rcc tv so when we were at interfaith we were also uh, managing rcc tv a religious coalition tv and we still uh, uh, people who are with uh, interfaith are still doing that part so it was it was a very um, very um, awesome amazing and spiritual experience to be part of each faith and to be with each um, uh, faith members and uh, faith community so it's amazing that um 9/11 just uh after that you just dove right in to interfaith and it really expanded uh your connection with other interfaith communities that's pretty amazing um uh, and then some of the other things i looked at uh your bio you've done you've done quite a bit <laughs> uh you've been a prayer chaplain uh, for the Sutter internship program and then you worked uh, you went twice to Guatemala for Habitat for Humanity um so that the Habitat for Humanity in Guatemala was that an interfaith were there other faith traditions there uh, pounding nails next to you <laughs> Guatemala was a very interesting experience i um i got a senate fellowship there is a capital fellowship program and if you apply um it's pretty competitive but i got that fellowship i was the oldest fellow of my class uh, there were 18 students and those uh, the senate fellows work with the senate offices so one of our friend um, family offered us that if you guys if you all want they will pay uh, for our um, accommodations and we just have to pay for the ticket and be at Guatemala and build home so i jumped on that opportunity um it was not as much interfaith the couple who was um sponsoring the program actually are atheists but i always feel like they answer god's call Uh, more than other faith people uh, so called faith people and also um, they just do it for humanity without any reward that they are thinking in the heaven they're just doing it because it's needed and human suffering needs to be taken care by the people who are privileged 
So that was the experience when I went to Guatemala. It was a whole new world for me. Um, the I never thought that the homes will be built in a very similar fashion, like Pakistan and India. So that's how it was. It was a neat experience. We were with um, the homeowners used to build with us and other people, other people from the community. And I don't want to use the word other. I will say more habitat friends. You know. And it was ex- amazing. I don't know Spanish, and but still we knew the language of how to take care of each other and love each other and laugh together and build together. And it was, uh, yes. So it was so really interesting. It was, it was an experience that's very similar to what your, your life work has been, trying to have people connect with each other and, and on a human level on a human level. I wanted to ask you about your prayer chaplain uh, uh, Sutter internship program. When you went in to uh, pray with others, were there uh, were there Muslim uh, patients were they in the hospital? Is that where you went? And did you have to do uh, interfaith type prayers with people or what was that like? So uh, in this opportunity also happened, I was at speaking at an interfaith event and one some, uh, Gerald Jones from our, uh, Sutter Roseville reached out to me and said, do you want to be a hospital chaplain? And I said, um, yes, uh, the, that was a new thing for me, a new chapter. Um, my Just to remind you, our community is a younger community. So we haven't lost that many people at that time in our community. So for us, for people losing, it's more of a thing now than it was at that time. Um, We are all young immigrants, most of us who were here. And um, so so it was a very different experience of being a chaplain and praying with other people. I got a little bit training. And from that training, actually, the following uh, month, my mom really got sick and I had to go to visit my mom who was the longest living patient on Elwood in Minnesota for so when I went there that was that even solidify my thing that how I want to be a hospital chaplain because if you know ICU is the biggest interfaith uh, club on earth (laughs) that's when every faith prays for everybody that's where everybody goes together and cheer up for everybody who gets better a day or so 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 I think that was the thing that I took my thing. And I also at that time, I don't know if you, Rachel, remember, Terry Shivo case was on also at that time. So uh, Davis, Davis, uh, UC Davis had asked me to be the panelist on that uh, also. So I went there and I totally changed how I saw things before going what I thought and coming back what I thought. So I, I, I think it, that was the journey that I, how I became hospital chaplain. Yes, when I go in the beginning, when I go used to visit Muslim uh, patients, they will be more like, I want to see an imam come and pray. And I was <laughs> like, no matter what I do, I cannot grow my beard and be an imam right now. So I became more of a community liaison where I will connect them with imam and pray with them and be with them. Um, you know, so for the prayers part, I had to reach out. But then um, I was offered an interfaith, uh, uh, you know, chaplaincy, which made me a little bit nervous because I was like, how will I go with other faith, you know, which I have ne- uh, not been raised into. But it was a very humbling experience because I will just be authentic, go and say, hey, I am a Muslim chaplain here on board and I've been on interfaith board. Can we just pray together? 
And it, it and I remember once I had a wife of a priest and she said, you know, I'm a wife of a priest. And I said, why don't you lead the prayer and we will follow together. And it was, I it still get chills when I think about that experience. So um, also when, uh, after 9-11, there, there uh, was some tragedies in the Muslim community and Spiritual Life Center uh, went to the Salam Center uh, well, it was after nine. It was nine eleven, I guess. Can you uh, tell us about that experience and also how Faith Moran, uh, Reverend Faith Moran, co-founder of the Spiritual Life Center in Sacramento, came into your life and and what what happened with how that changed your life. So spiritual life has changed my life. Okay, <laughs> there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, so. Um, when 9-11 happened, um, it was a very devastating feeling that we had. Um, how will we raise our kid in, kids in this country? Is it safe to go out? I mean, from a very safe place, we went to a very, uh, a place where it was threatening, uh, you know, our safety. At that time, Spiritual Life Center came with the globe um, to our uh, Sunday school. I was a Sunday school teacher uh, before 9-11 happened, and I was Sunday school teacher for a very long time. I used to teach fifth, sixth grade at that time. So um, all the children were sitting down when Spiritual Life Center and the young kids from they brought the globe with band-aids on that which part of the world is being suffering, and they are with us. Also, um, other, uh, also with Christian and other faith, Sacramento is a place where um, we have been interfaith long before 9-11. All our uh, previous leadership with, uh, and still leaders like Brother Mutawalli Amir, Rabbi Bloom, you know, Mike Moran, all those people were already together when 9-11 happened. So when 9-11 happened, um, uh, Salam was very protected. We were even offered that you just go in prayer and they will watch us from outside and be our security. And that was very heartwarming and touching and obviously made us felt like we were in the right place. This is our home, you know. Um, and so that also led to lots of collaboration that we did together. When my kids were growing, the interfaith was so strong together and still is. But my kids benefited benefited from this blessing. So we, we were at um, a spiritual life center and... Uh, doing a presentation when um, Faith Moran, um, um, may Allah bless her soul, reached out to us and said that, um, do you, let's do a choir together. And I said, yes, without uh, going into details, so much wanted to fit in and also wanted my kids to be with spiritual life that I said, yes, we'll do the choir together. And then I came to the mosque and said, I know we don't have a choir, but this is the time to create a choir. And one of our friends, Sister Jalan, said she has knows the piano and she created this choir together. And then our kids, uh, Salam kids and Spiritual Life kids, they did lots of presentation together about peace. Uh, Tori Wilson from Spiritual Life will talk about how her brother was in Iraq war and how that has impacted her life. And my daughter, Tanya Sayed, used to share about her experience of how our world has changed, you know. So um, so that was one of those parts where our kids played less basketball and went more out 
uh, speaking about we are peaceful people. And I remember Zaki said, used to say that he became a spoken word artist and he would say, I would rap, rap, rap. I would write, write, write. I would rap, rap, rap until the media stopped, until, um, uh, until everybody can plainly see the Islamist peace. Because at that time, media was very different. Media did put us in a cage. Every time there was any violence, Muslim name was there. And I'm so glad it's not the same thing. So that was, and Faith Moran will always tell me, I told her I'm not spiritual enough. And she said, why not? And she used to put her hand on her waist and said, why not? And I think that why not uh, empowered me. And I am very grateful for that why not and will always be grateful for that why not. And uh, also when, when you became president of the Interfaith Service Bureau, that was another why not experience too, wasn't it for you in a sense that you didn't feel that you were you're, you weren't an imam uh, leader of the, not a leader, but the um, prayer per, main prayer person of the Muslim community uh, and maybe weren't qualified to be a president of a, an interfaith bureau. Um, what uh, people, uh, Dexter McNamara and, and some others said to you, why not, huh? <laughs> I know, yeah. It was a why not. And I'm like, not only not only that I was not an imam or a rabbi or a priest, but also I was a woman. And in the and, and the religious culture is very much still a man culture. It's not that mm -hmm. much of a women culture. So it was a very out of this world experience, actually, and I did not felt worthy of it very inadequate, but David Thompson and Dexter McNamara and Michael Moran, they were like, you know what? You are fit, you can do it. And I think um, I, I, I think it was their empowerment that I was able to lead that. Well, so you, that's right. They empowered you and you were groundbreaking. <laughs> you made groundbreaking news in a sense. Uh, in that your particular culture, like you said, it's, it's a, a mas mostly masculine-run uh, culture. So, uh, so um, I wanted to jump over to the soul talks you did. Uh, RJ and G JG had soul talks where they invited people uh, on a particular day to talk for 15 minutes about a particular topic or something in their life, which was... Uh, uh, spiritual experience for you. And in 2016, uh, in March, you uh, did a talk, a soul talk called I Choose to Build Human Spirits. In November of that year, you did a talk entitled An Immigrant's Journey. And then in March of 2018, uh, you talked about choices. What would you like to share about these three talks that you did at at soul talks and what what were you was that a moment for you what why not moment for you to do those talks or it was it was a why not moment for me that why not i do that part because i am going through the stage where i feel young people speak with without an accent with more power and with you know so i think i'm in the in the journey of wanting to mentoring more people than go out and speak. So the, this opportunity, but this opportunity helped me look, look 
at my whole life actually this this was more of a analysis kind of of thing or maybe my self journey looking into why i made those choices what was my journey and and i really um it was a big impact on me and then knowing and uh being part of it the biggest thing that i my take was that when i was doing the choices was about how i feel like that we are all human being and with our name with our individual individuality there is a genome and with our soul it has a genome so my soul is my soul okay and this is the real say it and my soul is my soul but when all these souls does good work that is what spirituality is so i could distinguish between what is me i am what i contribute and improve myself to kind of connect to my divine soul and from that soul when i go out and put out uh, my work and my kindness and my friendship i extend to the other human beings in this world that's when we uh, create a bond of spirituality and all the good that people does is not to themselves it gets deposited in the bank called spirituality and from there uh, we all draw from that not only that generation but in coming generations too and the immigration experience is a very different experience that also told me that how privileged my immigration journey was i chose this country when my daughter was born when my daughter was born we thought that we are going to raise a very brave and bold uh, daughter and um i say that uh, sometimes jokingly that that was a mistake she's too brave and too bold for us you know but uh, but no i'm so proud of uh, um that decision uh, that we made it was more my husband and said we were going to stay here but then again we still have a choice to go back we still had a family home there but the immigration journey that people and still still we had that thing that oh i left you know immigration experience is still is what you leave but now uh, that journey also opened my eyes how other journeys are where there is no choice and all of a sudden you are a different culture you know also my immigration was through an arranged marriage so i had an arranged marriage where i didn't see my spouse before um uh, technically you know um so it was uh, an experience that lead uh, coming to a arranged marriage and to a new culture and but um uh, but the people of america and everybody made it like community college made it a worthwhile experience for us that we are still here and um we call our we call this place our home so as you're still with the same man that's great <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i like yeah. out and i i know him he's he's a, he's a beautiful soul also so you you two are what michael moran would say anam karas which in uh uh irish i guess i maybe if that's wrong uh soulmates so and i would say what mike moran and what spiritual life center always says that everything is a divine appointment that's true there are time when you choose your path and at that time you ask god to help you make the decision but then it becomes a divine appointment with his blessings so 
Sweet. Well, we're glad you're happy with your arranged marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. And I, and I sometimes I want to share people that sometimes arranged marriage is an arranged marriage. It's not a forced marriage. But for us, um, for an arranged marriage to work out where, I mean, marriage is a difficult institution. It's not the easiest institution. But we were both first one in a And to call or complain to our parents who did an arranged marriage was, Three dollar and eighty one cents per minute. That was too expensive. I think, I think that made us more of a thing that hey, we need to just make it work. It's too expensive to not make it work. <laughs> to complain, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that that's a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, I wanted to talk about um, a couple things and how they're some kind of connected. Um, you're a member of the Sacramento chapter of Salam Shalom, which is uh, a Jewish Muslim organization and also co-founder of the Arizaz Food Bank. Can you talk about those uh, and how they're maybe intertwined a little bit? So, um, uh, so um, Arizaz Food Bank, we founded Arizaz Food Bank um, about a decade ago, and it came out there was a difficult time in economic difficult times, and uh, it, it, people were having hard time with food. So uh, one of our uh, community leader, Sister Hasmiza Collins, uh, said that we need to, um, you know, we started giving out food from our pantry and from our garage, and then she saw a dream. Sister Hasmiza saw a dream, literal dream where there was a name, Arazak Food Bank. And also there were three other women helping her, which was me, Susanna, and one of her other sister. And she said, comes out and she, she calls us in the morning and said, now you have to answer the call because you were in my dream. And that's how we made our 501c3 and moved from um, one of the warehouse, small, um, you know, when I used to be a realtor at that time, so we had a real estate office. So we started from there to now we are in a warehouse. Um, we provide about 500 to 600 care packages every month um, to not only Muslim community, but to the homeless who are on our street, homeless friends who are on our street, to our um, uh, loaves and fishes, to mustard seed. Um, and to also homeless shelter, um, a wind youth that we have in Sacramento. Um, it's been a very, um, it's been a very um, kind of heartwarming experience because we have volunteers from six years old to all the way to six in in seventies and eighties. Um, but the best part is that recently, with Salam Shalom two years ago. Um, um, uh, two sisters, Sister Anne and Sister Melanie from Shalom, um, uh, from Jewish community, uh, we thought that we should make a, a group. And we, uh, all the Muslim women and few Muslim women and few Jewish women came together. And it started, it starts, uh, we meet at somebody's home and we break bread together. And then we start knowing each other and starts with icebreakers and stuff. But after a year, we were able to talk about some difficult Middle Eastern issues, talking about what it means to us being part of relating to Palestine and what it means to our Jewish sister being re uh, in relationship with Israel, you know, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that was very heartwarming. Uh, that was very, it 
touched our hearts and it opened up our souls, who we are and be authentic and why we are together um, rather than just having food. It was more like we have become best friends. And with Al-Razak Food Bank, lots of time uh, we have done our food drives uh, together. And um, uh, and so, uh, Salam Shalom sisters have been part of uh, uh, doing, uh, do, you know, packaging um, the care packages for the homeless um, shelters and wind youth along with us. Um, so. Um, and it it and also it also strengthened our bond bond because I do believe that that is uh, what Karen Armstrong said that no religion is complete without the a practical compassion and I think that's what we do together working together um, walking the talk is more I, of a thing that I get to do with Salam Salam sister and with Arazak people. Well, that's the fifth tenet of the Unity Church is to put your spirituality into action, not just, I mean, you can feel it and work, you know, connect with spirit and feel it, but to actually do, you know, be of service. Uh, and I think most major religions um, have that component for sure. Yeah, so, and um, to, add, to add to that, though, I'm sorry, to add to that, the spiritual life center is the leader for that part because um, in the beginning, spiritual life didn't have a place, but it's still they wanted to invest in human beings and people, and then they got their place. So I think at that, I, I feel like spiritual life is a leader in that community or unity church is a leader. And it's true. A spiritual life center does uh, donate 10% of its um, tithing to local nonprofits, and they they still do that today after 20 years, and they've given over a, probably a million and a half dollars by now, over a million dollars into the uh, food banks and all kinds of uh, wonderful nonprofits. So and it would uh, be a remiss if I said that um, two years ago we got that tithing from Spiritual Life Center to a Razak food bank. So yeah, there you uh, go. so thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah. We are very grateful for that cooperation. So um, as a Muslim, you are in the middle of almost at the end of Ramadan, which ends uh, in two days, May 13th. Uh, and for people who don't know that, it's a, it's a fasting for a month uh, by Muslims all over the world. Uh, and the definition I found was to commemorate the first revelation of the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad. So um, can you share, would you be willing to share what Ramadan and the fasting experience is like for you? So I feel like that um, it's a very precious gift of God, of my faith, you know, that I have that gift of uh, 30 days to connect with my spirituality and have my spirituality talk to humanity. And I think that's uh, that's a privilege uh, of being a Muslim. And so we are going to celebrate on May 13th on Thursday. So our last fast will be uh, May, 20, uh, May, May 12th, you know. So tomorrow is our last fast. So, to, you know, um, uh, it, it's been a very, it's always a very humbling experience. We look forward for Ramadan to come. Because this is the time where we ask for mercy, for forgiveness, and for uh, repent for 
how we are going repent what we have done wrong and kind of we re- become a rewriter or start uh, change the narrative of being you know um uh, what ha- you know how during how worldly affairs takes big part of your life so this month brings us back to the place where we talk to our soul and our spirit and we pray and we fast and it's only this is also the time where we give almsgiving because this is the time um uh, where you feel hunger that how other people are hungry in the world other other countries other world and we are very privileged that we have a very good feast in the morning at around 4:30ish and then we break our fast around 7:50 and what we don't drink water we don't engage in any activities with gossiping or you know uh try to avoid getting angry and upset and also this is the part to really nourish our soul and you know nourish our soul and foster our spirit spirituality and thinking of other people and this year especially is very meaningful to me and to my family because with covid we, for last year and this year we had a lot of time for self reflection and how to be a good human being and how in the world where we are so interconnected with each other to give and empower people so that as a whole we do better as a you know whole one race human race you know so that that that's one of the, the yeah that's one of the th- things and also with people losing life they have lost they have lost people there's a it's a trauma covid it's such a traumatic thing for people they did not get to say bye to people and so yeah. my prayers this last last 10 days we have odd nights which is which um, there is a night of power in one of those also so every odd night we pray um, uh, most of the night and we pray for the betterment for the whole world for mm-hmm. um uh, for taking away sorrows and sickness and sadness you know so with covid and also what's going on in middle east right now it's so mm-hmm. heartbreaking how they are fasting and how how it's just it's just um covid was a thing that we had to fight all together and it was one of the uh be feel god's test to see how united we are you know but i feel like sometimes um this is a time to take a step back and come together as a community how we can support each other and make this uh, experience of life on this earth a better one by giving something you know giving ourselves and bettering ourselves So I'm kind of it's a bittersweet. I know we get to celebrate on May 13, but I'm also sad because of COVID we had to pray outside under the sky and that was the most connecting experience and I feel like it's going to go away for so many thousands and hundreds and thousands of people standing and just asking for God to make this mm-hmm. place a better peaceful loving caring place. Well, I into that and and what a beautiful story that is. Um I will share one thing I had my daughter visiting. She hasn't been here in Sacramento for over 10 years. And one day she was going out, uh, she rented a car and she we don't have a, a large place so she had to stay elsewhere. So I walked her out to her car and she looked up in the sky because she loves to see the big dipper. 
you know, the configuration of the Big Dipper stars. And we saw this unusual image and what it turned out to be was the SpaceX 60 satellites going in a line across the sky. And actually, if you looked on the internet at the time, you could see that. So it was, when you say, uh, I know what that feels like when you actually take time to, to go outside and look up at the sky, uh, it somehow uh, draws you into spirit um, so quickly. So thank you for that beautiful story. So we're, uh, we've got uh, a few more minutes to go here on our podcast, but I want to ask you, you've been involved in interfaith work in the Sacramento region for uh, over 20 years. So what are some of the changes that you've seen in the interfaith community over the years? And, and what, what do you think, it, what does it look like today? So when 9-11 happened, it was a very different world. People did not know about Islam. There were lots of fear. Um, there was lots of um, unanswered questions because the more we share our life, the more we understand each other. And the more we understand each other, we form a bond of friendship. And that's what leads us to um, help each other and make each other a better person by, uh, by supporting each other. So I think that in the when at that time we were going out and it was more of a firefighting thing where we were like oh my name is my community name is again with twilight okay oh this you know so we were always going out and kind of defending ourselves though we it was not most of the muslim 90 percent more than 95 percent i would say uh, muslims live a very peaceful life you know, they are very peaceful uh, and very, um, very meaningful life and purposeful life. And it's very important to have a purpose in life, you know. So I think, I think that that's, that's the thing. But, but it was at that time we were proving ourselves right now, we being moving forward and our kids who were uh, 9-11 era kids growing up with the understanding what they need to change. And also I'm, an, I'm a uh, first generation immigrant. I'm still learning my way. But these kids know English in and out. They know their way. They know this culture. So the impact is so much more right now, the way our um, mosques are conducting the business and all that part that we have integrated ourselves into this community. So our impact is more powerful. People know when Ramadan is there. People know what fasting is. Mm -hmm. Remember my kids going to school and our teachers thinking that we are kind of abusing, you know, and some teachers will empower and some people, kids, teachers will feel bad about our kids. But right now, everybody's like, oh, this is Ramadan. People are fasting. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, I think people also have this safety in their heart that, Muslims do survive every year. So this community will be okay because it wasn't coming from the, it was also coming from a very caring heart. How are you going to last 30 days from morning till evening without <laughs> water, without food, you know? Yeah. So it was a caring part of our friends and fellow Americans. And now they have learned that this is one of the things that's needed for your diet also. It is one of the fasting is now as a diet thing, people are doing that. Mm -hmm. So it has become a very, um, you know, and a positive experience. And I see moving forward with more hope. 
and more energy, positive energy, and with young people's heart and minds. So I feel very uh, empowered in that regard. Well, Durie, I just have to say, I, I'm just honored, so honored and thankful that you said yes to be <laughs> to, to doing this podcast. You're you're an amazing woman. You're humble, and I am I am one of your sisters. I I don't know. It doesn't matter the color of our skin or what. Uh, it doesn't matter. I just know that our souls are connected. So um, I thank you so much for for this amazing podcast. And I know that when people listen to it, they will be inspired. And especially the women will be inspired to stand up and and do uh, go where no one else has gone before, as in Star Trek, you know. So thank you so much. And I just want to thank you, Rachel, and also Dave, for being an incredible um, uh, interfaith explorer and taking me to this journey. Um, life is life is all about journey and how we uh, have companionship of people in this journey. And I am so grateful for your presence in my life and your presence in my heart and, uh, and all the people who have uh, empowered us, like, you know, Brother Mutawalli Amir, who believed in me that I could be part of Interfaith and all the other leaders who have led us here. So I am really, it's such a, I'm at such a good place in my heart. I, I feel the same way. It's just a, a mutual, uh, amazing journey for both of us. I know. And I can't wait to have spiritual life center hugs. <laughs> I yes, think I, I realized I realized that was the part that I missed the most during COVID. Yeah. I did not. We underestimate the power of hugs. So I think that's. I can't wait to hug all of you. Well, thank you. Thank you again. So I wanted to thank also uh, my husband, Rev. Dave, for putting together the questions for this particular podcast. He's, he ha has a talent for interviewing people, and I appreciate that. And next month, I want to tell you that I'm going to have another wonderful time. I get to interview the man I have watched on the interfaith path. He seems to have been here from the beginning doing everything. And as he says, getting into trouble in so many ways. In addition, back in 2005, I asked him out on a date. And this is our 15th year of a really long date and a great marriage. So join us next time as wherever spirit takes us in our June podcast when I get to interview my husband, Rev. Dave Lyman. Thank you for joining us today to experience and explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. Our next podcast will be available the last Friday of the month, but we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, and suggestions to interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org because we want to know about your interfaith art. So let us all remember as we go on our different paths that Gandhi said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty.